is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris. This is Frank. And this week we are doing a third man series. Uh, we're going to be doing the best of Alfred Hitchcock, and we're lucky enough to have one of our friends, longtime friends, with us tonight, uh, Mr. Orion Wellmaker. Hi, everyone. Nice to be here. Um, so, like I said, we're going to be talking about the best of Hitchcock. Remember, the idea behind this is um, when we do these is Frank has uh, his best Hitchcock movie. Um, our guest uh, here, Orion, will have his best Hitchcock movie. And uh, they'll go ahead and explain why they think that is the particular best of that artist. Um, before we get started, though, I wanted to kind of talk about Hitchcock a little bit. And then I also wanted to kind of talk a little bit about our guest and his history with movies. Um, Ryan, I've known you since uh, eighth grade. Is that right? Eighth, seventh yeah, grade? Yeah, it's eighth grade. Eighth grade. Okay. Um, so can you um, tell us a little bit about what your history, like with film and stuff like that? So I watched movies when I was younger. Like when I was, when I was like a toddler, I went to see some movies. Like I saw, I know I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater and around 1990, I saw movies. I saw Batman in the theater uh, Back to the Future 2 and I think I saw Him Alone and things like that but then I kind of faded away with movies I didn't really watch movies a lot mm-hmm. like I watched them up to like 93 or 4 and then I just wasn't I wasn't interested I was skateboarding I was playing my Super Nintendo things like that so like you would ask me things like you I'd be at your house and you're like mom would ask me like about Robert De Niro and I'm like I don't know who that is <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> things like that and right. so and you would talk about I asked the Bledsoe one time and I was like oh what's your favorite movie and I he he was supposed to say Star Wars but he said Pulp Fiction and I was like <laughs> what? I was, I was like okay whatever so uh-huh. I didn't get back into movies again until the mid 2000s like 2005 or 4 something like that yeah. and then I started watching it like I got into it, and then I started watching a lot of them. Like in like 2010, I started. So, you're watching a lot though in the mid 2000s. Yeah, you were creating those. We there was lists that you were just going through and just. Yeah, I was going through lists, and I was also buying them. I still had a VCR, and I was buying tapes at the flea market for a dollar. Mm-hmm. So I would buy. I would just buy bunches of them from a list. Like you made me a list, right? And I had other people Frank make me made a list. You a list. Yeah. yeah. And I would see them at the flea market and buy them for a dollar, and I would watch them in their graininess mm-hmm. on the TVs, and uh, yeah, trying to catch up through a hundred years of movies or something. Which you've been fairly successful at. You've seen yeah. a hell of a lot of movies now. Yeah, I've seen almost all the top two hundred and fifty on IMDb, except for some weird ones, uh-huh. and a lot of foreign ones, and ones that I've gotten recommended. And I like the really weird ones, so I've really delved into some really crazy things over the years. Yeah. Like what? Like um, the best short stories of David Lynch, like uh, weird things like that, yeah. and um, just some weird foreign movies that, like I was telling Frank about how on YouTube I looked up like it was like the something of of uh, I forget what it was, it was like the winds of the something or other, and it was like the a really early like abstract movie. Do you remember what I'm talking about? You're talking about the one with the woman in the mirror and the wisps of yeah, I can't remember what that movie was called. That. Yeah, it was like a short thing, but it was like really, it didn't look like it was from that time period. It was very Lynchian, that, that movie. Yeah, and then like weird silent movies like um, Haxon or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of old movies like The Wind and a lot of silent things no one really watches much anymore. Yeah. 
So um, just so we have a sense of like like the things you like though and stuff like who are like some what's some of your favorite movies or some of your favorite directors and stuff like that. I like all the Hitchcocks. Obviously, I'm here. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I like all James Cameron stuff pretty much. I like I like a lot of older movies. I think I was born in the wrong decade. Uh huh. I like Ben Hur. Ben Hur is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I love that movie. I like the old Star Wars movies. I grew up with them. I love Indiana Jones. He was my hero. I tried to ride a horse because of Indiana Jones. <laughs> um, it's two weeks in a row with horses being talked about on the sure. podcast. Yeah. <clears throat> it seems like a lot of my top ten movies are from when I was younger. When was the last time you rode a horse? Uh, I was like eight or nine, maybe something like that. So do you it still really, do you uh, still win, Frank? What I say, eighty nine or ninety, something like that. Yeah, yeah, so probably you, guess. yeah, you still, you know, yeah you're the one. Okay. What's funny is that. My parents and I were looking through pictures like a month ago, and there's like this picture of me on this random like donkey, like, and I have no idea what that came from. Like, I don't remember, but I don't know if that counts. But he's riding something. That's debatable. Um, <laughs> so, um, what? So, why do you think like Hitchcock? Like, you have like a particular like affinity or like like him so much? I do like the old movies, and I like the time period of the '40s and '50s, and but. All of his, he does a lot of symbolism and things like that. And then he does a lot, like a lot of long shots and weird shots. And I'm all about cinematography and different colors and things. Like yeah. it's really, of course, uh, the story is important, but I really like some really good visual stuff. I mean, most people do that as well. Yeah. And I guess that's about it. That's about it. Um, also, I wanted to ask, do you, do you have any drinking games with Hitchcock movies? Yes, there's a game that Dixon and I played several times, and it involves the big sleep. Oh, that's, not the big, that's not Hitchcock, though, right? No, yeah. but that's, uh, you don't have any related to Hitchcock movies? Hitchcock? Um, I don't know. It's just the big sleep? The big sleep drinking game is the one that right. I remember. And the game was that you took a drink every time a character's name was mentioned. Right. Every single time. So it's like, yeah, you're you're drunk in like 10 minutes right basically. because they just constantly say each other's names in those old movies it's like yeah. joe brady paul right. geiger and Bryce, <laughs> like and there's like four in a row and you're right yeah you're just like <laughs> drinking your whole beer yeah, yeah so it's awesome yeah i wasn't sure if you guys had any with hitchcock or not not that i remember now because i thought you had a one beyond big sleep but i couldn't remember what it was let me um think about it yeah. and maybe um... okay um <clears throat> frank what are your overall feelings on hitchcock like just generally, I mean, how do you, how do you not respect, you know, and like Hitchcock? I would say, um, I don't know of any Hitchcock movies that I dislike, mm-hmm. which is a pretty strong recommendation. I mean, even my favorite directors, there's stuff that I find to be like less than stellar or not really interesting. But I, I, I like all the Hitchcock stuff. Um, he's weird because, like, I, I think he's super influential, and like, I can, like, watching you know, the two movies we're going to talk about again this past week, like, you see so much that he did, you know, in the 40s and 50s that's still being done today, and it really seems like it's crazy just how he, like Orion said, like, the cinematography, like, the way that he frames shots and the way that he uses color, like, the color in his his movies is just, like, amazing. Um, I'm not as much of a fan, I think, as either of you as, like, noir and like mystery so it doesn't quite hold as much like fascination but i mean i really enjoy him yeah um so now since you're talking i'll start with you and i'll go to orion uh what 
didn't make the list, but maybe came close? Uh, for me, it was Rear, Rear, Rear Window was my my 1B. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Rear Window. It's one of my favorite movies, like, ever. Um, I like Psycho a lot. Um, I really enjoy The Lodger, mm-hmm. uh, one of his older movies. Um, there's some other stuff that I, I, I like that I thought about. Like, like I, I really enjoy North by Northwest. Um, I, I really like the birds a lot. Like, I don't know if I ever thought of it making the list, but it's, I think the birds is kind of like maligned anymore as just being kind of silly, but I think the birds is a, a I I do not like, I I never really cared for the birds. It's like his one movie that like I could say I don't really care for. I just like the weird, like supernatural element to it that doesn't really exist in most of his stuff. Along with your taste yeah like in genres a lot um yeah. same with psycho you know like i like the sure which i do really like the stark like horror element like one of the most brilliant things that's ever been done yeah um really rear, rear, rear window and psycho are the the two that i considered putting as my number one yeah um what movies of his had you thought about orion that like you maybe would have come close to being number one i was thinking about either it would either be rebecca or it would be um, Psycho for me. Like a funny thing with Psycho is that before I started watching movies again, I was always like, "Oh, whatever the shower scene. Like, who cares?" Like, I was not. I always thought it was some big hype. Like, nothing was really a big deal about it. But uh-huh. then I've seen Psycho. I've seen it a lot, maybe like three or four times. And every time I watch it, I like it more. Like, I would actually like to watch it again. And what was my uh, Rebecca? Rebecca. Yeah. I like uh, Rebecca a lot. A funny thing about Rebecca is that every time I start dating a new girl, mm-hmm. I'll make them, we eventually watch older movies and then I make them watch Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And after we watch a bunch Hold of- Hold on a second, Rebecca is the one that you make the girl watch? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes Vertigo, right. but I usually, I like to keep mm-hmm. Vertigo a memory of, of me, not like of some girl I was dating that- Yeah, yeah. Whatever. So I like, yeah, I'll, let them, I'll have them watch Rebecca and- after we watch a bunch of old movies, they always say that Rebecca was their favorite one. Oh. They're like, "What's that one we watched with the with the house?" And like Rebecca, so um, a lot of good memories with Rebecca. Yeah. Um, like some of the ones that Frank mentioned, North by Northwest. I tried to watch it several times, and I have, but I can't. I can't get into it as much as other people have. I like some scenes in it. The part where he stabs him and like gets caught by the photographer is like amazing. That part. Mm-hmm. Um, Rear Window, I do like that a lot, but there's nothing that really makes me want to go watch it more. Like, I've mm-hmm. seen it twice, and I remember pretty much everything about it. Uh, the Birds, I do like The Birds, but I haven't seen it that many times. There's a couple of scenes from The Birds that I've watched, like, 10 or 15 times, but not, like, the whole movie. Yeah. I should actually watch The Birds again, now that I'm thinking about it. I do like The 39 Steps, and I like The Lady Vanishes. Birds, yeah. Yeah, those are good movies. 39 Steps is really good. Yeah. And uh, I think that's about it. Yeah. There's some others, but not to the caliber of those ones. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a really good list. Um, yeah. I think the only one I even had like, written down to mention, if nobody mentioned it, was like Notorious and Spellbound, which always kind I of like... I do like Spellbound, too, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah, that has the visual stuff, like the dolly yeah. and stuff oh, like so that, good. that you would be, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Um, into, like, um, but yeah, I'm always, like, an, I think, like, people, like, I think growing up, I took Psycho for granted, 
in a lot of ways just because it was psycho like you said a shower scene like you know and uh, you know and we saw uh, i saw so much worse you know like (laughs) you know like by the time i got was growing up in the 80s like you know the shower scene wasn't very scary or effective like you know horrific quite but like watching again like trying to put in the context of that time period the idea that it starts off as a noir for like the first half of that movie and that's what you think it is not if you didn't know going into that theater and then having it turn into what it turns into has to like be like one i I would have loved to have like been alive during that period to like have that experience yeah it had to be pretty shocking to see that movie for the first time with no like foreknowledge of what you were gonna see right it's kind of like last week when we were talking about um um bone tomahawk I almost called it Bonehawk Tomahawk. Right? <laughs> um, when we were talking about Bone Tomahawk, it's kind of like that times, like, probably, like, you know, a thousand. Yeah. Like, the idea of you expect this one thing going in for a while, then it completely turns into this other type of movie. <clears throat> like, yeah, I mean, Psycho is just, like, really brilliant to me, like, in that in that regard, especially. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's one of those movies where I feel like I knew everything about that movie long before I actually ever yeah. sat down and watched it, so... Yeah. I don't know. I just it's. I mean, like I love it, but I yeah. I can't imagine how special it would have been to, right. like, have that for the first time. Sure. Um. <clears throat> okay, so let's go ahead and um, jump into the two movies that have been picked um, and talk about those. Uh, Orion, we're going to start with you. So your pick for the best Hitchcock was Vertigo, yes. which came out in 1958, starring Jimmy Stewart, Kim Novak, Barbara Bel Geddes. Um, Rotten Tomato has it as a, a critic score of a 96%, an audience score of a 93%. Uh, do you want to go ahead and explain to us uh, your general points of why you like it so much? I do. So, when I first watched Vertigo, I didn't I didn't go to the flea market yet to buy tapes or anything weird like that. I went to, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a video shoot place that was in Suburban. Place. It was, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had a deal in there, and it was $4 for four or five nights, I think. So yeah. I went in there and I went to the classic section. This is me just like going in blindly. And I got Vertigo and some other random things. I think I got like On the Waterfront or something else, which I was not. Yeah, well, let's not talk about On the Waterfront. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, please no. We've had that argument for years now, yeah. <laughs> so one of them was Vertigo and the cover was just like Jimmy Stewart hanging from the reef or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nothing crazy. Uh, so... Uh, the first thing about it is, like kind of what I said about Hitchcock movies earlier, it's really colorful. The, everything seems like a painting. Yeah. Like one of the main focuses of the movie is Carlotta, the portrait of Carlotta. And it's everything's really pastel-y. There's a lot of like rosy kind of colors in it, things like that. Like the uh, the scene in the alley where he just, it's all dark and dirty and abysmal. And he just like opens it up into the flower shop is right. like... That what you're expecting and it's like colorful and like amazing mm-hmm. and like that and the bouquet petals um, another thing is that it's it's really really was really mysterious to me like as I'm watching as you watch it like you don't think that you don't think that what's happening is not what's happening um, there's no hint that the story wasn't what it was like the actors didn't really give away any hints like or anything like that uh, the twist the twist is like maybe three-fifths of the way through the movie and i honestly never saw it coming i think it was one of my first big movie twists that i had seen mm-hmm. so it was like pretty much blown away like i didn't know what to do i was like yeah. 
It was like the biggest confusing thing forever for me. Uh, seeing Scotty as like this broken man was very uh, interesting to me. Uh, another thing about me that you guys don't really probably know is that I like old cars and stuff a lot, like old vintage cars. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a car show around and I see it happening, like I gotta stop and look at the cars. Okay. Like I've done that like several times. I'm just driving down the road and there's like this car show. I'm like, I have nothing to do. I'm going to go look at these cars. And I like, I love the 50s and 40s cars. Yeah. And so you really like that green car? A lot of those scenes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of those scenes is him driving around all, with all these 50s cars. And I just, the cars are, and uh, oh, it's so nice. And this, the vintage San Francisco atmosphere is really yes. nice. Mm-hmm. Um, cinematography in the movie is fantastic. Uh, let's see. When he watches her by the flowers and like he's, they're shooting him in the doorway with the doorway cracked, but then the mirror is on her and he's kind of just like watching her, like kind of creepy. But like yeah. he's like, you can see everything in the background. It's like, oh, that's so good. And uh, there's a lot of faraway shots too. Like there's a shot of him after the, he meets Judy and they're walking in the daytime. And it's just this pan shot. And there's like birds flying and like things are all timed really nicely. There's a couple really faraway shots like outside the museum when they're going inside. Like, it's from like way up and you can see them like walking and it's like it seems to be timed really well and then there's like after after Madeline falls there's this scene where they're going on the roof to get the corpse and look at it and like you can see like Jimmy Stewart coming out of like the the door like way down there it's like this little dot and he's kind of like staggering and like like that whole thing is like so good like yeah. there's like several scenes like that in there yeah there's a few there's quite a few bird's eye shots and that yeah yeah that's a those are the main things yeah. generally so what um what particular scenes like you know uh stand out to you like in the movie that you like hold on to especially since you're such like a visual like person um without going into a lot of detail yet the scenes are definitely the dream scene i like the dream scene a lot because I, like, I like a lot of surreal type of stuff mm-hmm. and uh let's see The, the scene that I love is the bridge scene where she jumps into the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not, I was not expecting that. The whole buildup actually of all the scenes of uh, the story of the Carlotta mystery, like just the whole buildup, like when I'm watching this for the first time, I'm just kind of like, I'm just blown away at the whole story, really. Uh, so you talk about like all the scenes where he's like following her and like trying to like figure out what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. All- yeah, and they all play off each other like the previous one. So each one is like a new added on thing and it's like but each one like kinda of builds to the last one, so you're like, Oh, this and you see the grave and then like then like there's the painting, he's like, Oh, that's Carlotta and you're like, Oh Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting because I I, I think rewatching it like a bunch of times in my life, I for I know it all. <clears throat> so it's hard for me to put myself back in that mindset of the first time again watching it right. where I it, it does kind of build up like that where like I just kind of know it all so it's all right. jumbled in my head yeah so I kind of lose interest as in viewing it a bunch of times like I, I'm not as excited during yeah. those sequences I mean when I when I watched it again for the podcast it had been about probably like 15 years yeah since I've seen it maybe more than that right and I had forgotten the sequence of events and certain things that happened, so it was still like like kind of surprising when things happen. Mm-hmm. And it does build well off each other yeah. with him, like following her. Mm-hmm. I've seen it, I've seen it dozens of times, and I even when I just watched it again a couple of days ago, I saw a couple of things I had not noticed before. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Let me go through some scenes. I want to tell you what that uh, what they are. Yeah, go ahead. You mean start? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. So when I rented this movie and put it in, I just uh, the first thing you hear is the score by Bernard Herrmann, and it's like the most amazing thing ever to me. I'm a really big music score person. Like that really makes or breaks the movies for me. Like some movies have the crappiest score ever, and it's just uh, it doesn't. But if it has a nice score in it, it's like infinitely times better. Like if you can imagine Star Wars with like some, I don't know, some guitar riffs or something. Right. I don't know. It's like the worst movie ever. <coughs> so um, when I first watched the opening scene with the cops, and they're like, they jump in like. Scotty doesn't make it and the other cop was going back to like save him I was like what are you doing you're gonna die and like that was like I knew that was a nice humane thing to do but like I knew that dude was dead as soon as he was trying to jump on step on that slant and um when he's talking to Midge I'm just gonna go through the movie okay when we're um when he's talking to Midge and he talks about the stepladder He's talking about how he's going to get over his uh, his vertigo and whatever. And uh, the stepladder scene was so cool to me because you could sense the Hitchcock. Like he's like, he does the, he does the other step and then like he's, his, Jimmy says a funny line and he's like, oh, buy a tall stepladder. That was really funny to me. And then uh, he takes that third step and it's like all slow. And you're like, oh, this is going to be so bad. And like he, uh, so this is the part that I just saw something new. Is that when he got to the third step and looked down? I always thought that when he looked down that time, he saw the he saw the uh, the, the uh, alley from the night of the cop dying, mm -hmm. like a different section maybe. But it was actually him looking out Midge's window and seeing the thing out there. Like I didn't right. I didn't really get that last yeah, time. Yeah, they do that rack focus thing too, yeah. where it makes it seem like it's. Yeah, but I didn't notice. I didn't notice he was looking out Midge's window. I thought that that him just looking down at the oh, floor. Oh, he was like psychologically like re yes. remembering the alley. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know if my version is cooler than that in the movie. <laughs> like, it was a flashback. I thought my version was cooler, but I'm not Hitchcock. <coughs> when he first meets uh, Gavin, so, a funny story with this is that I'd seen it a bunch of times by then, but me, we were at Dan's house, and me, Dixon, and Jess Powers were watching it, if you remember that girl. So, we're watching the uh, Vertigo, and she's chatty, and then, uh, She's chatty and like talkative, and then Gavin says like, "Someone did," and like she was like, "Did you say someone dead?" And we're like, "Yeah," and like she didn't say a word like the rest of the movie. She was just like, "I'm watching." And I thought it was really uh, it shut her up and like really nicely. <laughs> uh, story's amazing. Everything is so convincing. Like not, at no point does it seem like the all the supernatural stuff could not be happening. Um, all the actors do a really well job. And Gavin's story just keeps getting verified, like over and over. Like you see her like visit the grave, and she's visiting all kinds of stuff. The wandering is real. Like he says, she wanders, and you're like, whatever. But she really does. I thought the uh, the book. Oh yeah, the bouquet scene where she goes to the flower shop. I thought that it was going to be really, really, really shady scene. Like, cause it's all gritty and he goes in there and it's like this back alley and he opens it up into like the most colorful florist place yeah. ever. And yeah, I was like, it's, it's, oh. Yeah, it's a beautiful shot. Yeah, like the like, coloring in that. Yeah, I was just really not expecting it, yeah. I guess. Um, so the start, it starts to show like the possession and mimicking of Carlotta. 
And then there's the grave scene. And when I saw the grave, I was like, oh, that's the dead person. That's like who's gonna who's like can who's like controlling that Carla or uh, Madeline or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a uh, big mark out there. And then there was the painting, and you can see the similarities in the hair and stuff. And I was like, oh my god, this is so good. And uh, everything's adding up quick in a specific order. And each one is, is a bigger reaction than the last time. Uh, the thing that I've had several theories as to. Um, when she goes to the house, Carlotta's house, and then disappears, things like that. And uh, I had a theory that I realized doesn't work, but mm. I read in the trivia there's like uh, other there's like a like it's a four different uh, explanations as, explanations as to what happened. Yeah. What's your theory? My theory was that she went in there and told the lady that she's going to her room, but someone's following her. So don't tell her, don't tell him that she had been there, something like that. But after he showed uh, her the badge and everything, she was like, oh, what has she done wrong? Like, she's really complying with everything. She would probably do anything. So I didn't think that really made any sense. Can I give you my theory? Because I thought about this a lot after I watched it this time. Yeah. I think that that's the place where um, Madeline and, or uh, what's her name? Jane, right? Is the actual Judy. Judy. And Elster are using for their illicit affair so that they had another key made to it so that they could get in and out of the room without being seen yeah so that way she didn't have to interact with the woman to get into the room and she was able to slip out like some other exit from the building without being seen that's possible that's that's really good i mean i i want to say that that hitchcock said that it was one of his MacGuffins that he threw in and that like there is no real explanation for it but that's that's actually really good yeah yeah there's no there's like a you ever heard about the ice box? So in the in the Vertigo trivia, there's this thing, and Hitchcock called it called it an ice box scene. Mm-hmm. And the ice box scene means that when you go home after the movie and you're getting a chicken out of your ice box, you start questioning weird things about the movie, like, oh, how did she get out of uh, Carlotta's house? Like that was the yeah. Hitchcock answer. Uh-huh. It was so funny. Gotcha. That's funny. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> like that's some like that's some fifty stuff. Like getting, yeah, right. checking out the ice box. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, so then he meets re-meets with Gavin. And then Gavin's telling him all kinds of stuff about how she doesn't know who she's never heard of Carlotta and she started wearing the jewelry again and now you're you're thinking like, oh and like I'm watching this movie and I'm like, oh my god, it's so good. And like it's a ghost story, like I'm all about some supernatural not like I've seen anything, but I'm all about some supernatural stories and things like that. Oh let's see. So then comes the bridge scene. So the scene is the scene is like all calm and like nothing's happening. And she's just like wandering around, and then uh, she's picking the petals off the bouquet. And it's like that part is really cool because you can see the bridge in the background, and the pe- the bouquet is all colorful, and she's just picking them off, and like it's going back and forth between uh, Scotty, and then all of a sudden she jumps in, and the music's like, Woo! and uh, I think I was really shocked by that point because I was just kind of relaxing and then like I probably scared myself while I was like watching it the first it's really time. amazing the way that it's like framed and shot with her jumping into the water yeah. yeah and then at the house she says she's never been inside the museum before and it's like oh there's another thing uh, then there's the love story so like 90% of movies have some romantic interest or whatever mm-hmm. um 
this is a part this is a scene i forgot to talk about before like a key scene so one of the key scenes for me is the redwood forest so they're in the forest and she goes into uh carlotta mood and she uh, doing her thing and she walks away like into the into the trees but like there's kind of like this misty thing around her and to me it was like oh man she's it was like a really ghostly thing like it was so supernatural to me and then all of a sudden she's like gone and the music in the background's like whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. and uh that was a really like kind of haunting thing for me like i and he's kind of watching it he's like going around the trees i mean and like i'm watching the movie and i'm like oh my god she disappeared like she turned into i don't know she turned into a, into a ghost i don't know and um obviously all these scenes really uh floored me so when i watched I actually watched that a couple of days ago i had the chills watching the the tree scene hmm. Like, I was just like, oh, my God. So good. Music's so good. Um, when he's talking to her on the cliff, and she's like, I'm, I'm mad, whatever. And he's telling, she's telling him about her dream. And she's like, oh, there's a open grave, and I don't see a name on the grave. And I walk into the hallway, and I go in the darkness. And I'm, I never made it to the end except for when I was at the bridge, and I died and things like that. It's very symbolic. It's very cool to me. But she says that she um, saw a grave with no name on it. We'll talk about that part later. So, let's see. Um, when he runs after her and they're on the beach, like they kiss. And it's really, uh, it's really timed well with the wave in the background. I don't know if they did that many times to get that. I'm sure they did, but it was like kiss and then like the biggest like wave on the rocks ever is really uh really good so then there's the problem with midge so i really hate her hair a lot like it's the worst it's like the worst <laughs> hairstyle ever like i want to like midge so much but the hair really gets to me uh-huh. um when she got mad at the painting and pulled it up into like a thing i was like oh that looks so much better but no so Scotty has no interest in Midge and Midge is like I don't know there's there's like this inconsistency with the movie because they've been in, they were engaged 3 weeks once in college when they were in college days but uh-huh. like he's he's like 49 and she's like 25 or something so was Scotty supposed did to be younger tell, did they tell their ages in the movie I can't remember no. I don't they don't ever talk about it yeah. so don't you think that maybe Maybe Scotty was just like in some sort of graduate portion of college, and she maybe. was like a yeah. freshman, and, she, and he's supposed to be younger than his actual. Like maybe he's like age. late thirties, yeah. and she's like early thirties. Yeah, I was thinking that maybe he was a TA or student or teacher, or whatever other roles there are in yeah. the college. Yeah. Then. But when he's when you say college days, it's usually like you're talking about your Yours, student, right? Yeah. So, I, mean, I, I think you kind of have to suspend your disbelief at you know. Um, Stuart's age anyway like as uh, the actual person as opposed to the character he's playing yeah definitely do Um, so she's all about some Scotty and he's just like completely friend zoned her and they're just buddies hanging out that's what I take of it anyway Um, she wants him back so bad Uh, let's see it was uh, I feel bad for Midge like quite a few times in this movie like when Madeline leaves his apartment nothing had happened in her like, like that but Midge is like in her car like watching mm-hmm. and I'm like oh poor Midge like she was gonna go there and like all surprise him and be all happy and like yeah. he's like yeah that that kind of sucks 
the thing with uh, when she painted her own like portrait of Carlotta and put her face on that, mm-hmm. I thought that was so funny. And then um, when he like laughed and she was like, "Oh, idiot!" Like I was so sad. Like I was like, "Oh, yeah. poor bitch." Where, yeah. That was really. Uh, Midge is really sad in the movie. Is that yeah. the last Midge scene in the movie? No. I'll tell you the last scene. It's worse, actually. It's so much worse. <laughs> so, um, the last scene with Midge, after he goes crazy, so Madeline, we haven't got to it yet, but Madeline dies, and he's in the mental hospital, and she's, like, right. taking care of him, and she's, like, all, like, uh, oh, mother's here, and can you hear me? I know you can't hear me, like, all this stuff. And then she goes, she goes, this is all, like, I haven't really read anything. This is all, like, what I see. She goes to the main doctor and she goes down the hallway and there's like there's like uh people walking and someone's coming out of this office and then like there's a wheelchair or something like that and she goes in there and she's like telling him about it and like he was in love and like i don't know whatever she says is not going to come out of it and she comes out of the hallway and it's like it's all darker and there's like nothing happening it's like the most like the most lonely hallway ever there's like not a sound except for like her footsteps and she's like walking to the end, like where his room is, and she's kind of just like walking over there, and like that's the last time you see it, Midge. It's like that's like uh, yeah. her future is like lonely darkness or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. Okay, so now we're at the tower. Yeah. So the tower is, of course, if you've seen the movie, this is where Madeline, her fate, mysteriously happens to her. So <laughs> when she's about to run up the tower, she says. She's seen all this stuff like, oh, it's too late and it wasn't supposed to happen this way. And like when I watched it the first time and um, maybe even the second time, like the dialogue like that doesn't really, you don't know what that means. Like it doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't make any sense until the nude. So mm-hmm. it kind of just like, you're just like, whatever. It's, she's just saying it's too late because you can't get me out. Yeah. Um, I never saw that. I never saw that whole thing coming. So like when he goes up the tower, I even had chills the other day watching it when he goes up and like she uh she screams and falls off and you just see the body like all like a rigid weird body and it's like hey like uh it's just like oh shit this is ridiculous like and this is like this is the twist so this is like three-fourths of the way through the movie or not three-fourths like three-fifths and uh you're just like okay what else could even happen in this movie and uh that's when you see the really cool shot of uh scotty leaving and going uh like it's like this exit where he supposedly leaves whatever and doesn't stay at the scene or whatever mm-hmm. so then you get the broken man scotty that's what i like to call the this whole part and so he um we're gonna talk about the dream so this is how i interpret the dream and i'm gonna pick it apart like one part of the time okay so I think it's after. No, I think it's he's still in the mental hospital when he has the dream, or he might be at home. I forget. Is it's the beginning or the end or the end of one of those parts? And um, the first thing is, I know that's after that. The first thing you see is like we just waking up and there's like uh, you see the bouquet, and the bouquet is like colorful. It's like a painting or whatever. But then the bouquet like it starts to all just like fall apart and come unraveled. And I think that's Hitchcock telling people like. The story is about to just like fall apart, so just get ready for what's about to happen. And then you see live Carlotta in the flesh, and you see her standing with Gavin and Scotty. And uh, I didn't notice this until the last time I just watched this, but um, 
when he's when uh, they're at the trial, Gavin and Scotty are at the window, and he's like, "I have last words for you," and he tells uh, he tells Scotty that we both know who killed Madeline, and when you see Carlotta in the flesh, she's in front of the window where they're both having that conversation, mm. and um, I thought that was a <clears throat> amazing Hitchcock and like, yeah. and um, Gavin is like holding her arm. And it's like, well, why is he holding her arm? And I think it's like he's like, he's like, this is my vessel for the story. Like Carlotta is my is my way of getting through. Is like getting away with all this stuff. Like he's like holding on to like uh, his vessel. Uh, let's see. Then see. So then you see the neck. It just zooms in on the necklace. And when I watched it the first time, and maybe a few times, it's like, okay, you're just showing the necklace because the necklace is supposed to be. Maybe that's the jewelry that's that made her be possessed by Carlotta. But I think it's Hitchcock just saying, like, here's the necklace again because you're going to see it again. So get ready for the scene when you see it because you're going to be like, oh. Um, then you see the open grave again. But this open grave is different than her grave in her dream because her grave, she said it was blank and it just uh, with a hole. And but in his dream... It actually says Carlotta Valdez with this. It's the same from the cemetery. So I think that this dream is completely Scotty's idea. And then he's all of a sudden he's just falling. And you know he's falling because you can see his hair. His hair is like, hey. <laughs> his hair is waving. And, uh, and he is falling because the next scene you see is him falling onto the roof where she fell. And if you kind of notice it, you can see him falling and he has these like he has a weird prey manis arms that kind of come up like and uh make this weird like angle thing and uh i think it's very important to talk about it a little bit here so i get chills from that uh dream scene every time anyway so now it's a year later and he and he gets out of the <coughs> and he's like revisiting the madeline scenes i thought that was i thought this was so funny to me all this stuff which is probably a sign of how awful I am but he um he goes to, one weird thing I saw was that he goes to see Madeline's grave and it just says it just says wife of Galvin Elster like there's no dates no phrases nothing mm-hmm. so I don't know if that's uh I'm not sure if that's like well I don't know what was supposed what was happening there but I thought that was uh I didn't even notice it but yeah probably because families had shared plots yeah even then you still a lot of times had person's name yeah, I've never smaller. noticed that I don't really have a... yeah hmm. <clears throat> so what's funny is that to me is that he goes to Ernie's and he goes back to the the apartment or condo where uh, Madeline lives and each time he goes back they use Kim at first so he's at the he's at the bar in Ernie's and looks over and like Kim's getting up at the table and he's like oh it's her she's back whatever and then like it's a different actress mm-hmm. but they really use like him in the thing like you can tell it's her and then when he goes to where the green car is and he's just like standing there like you can see Kim come out and then he's like and then he's like all in a panic and goes over there and it's like of course that older lady but they really used I can you can tell that they used Kim for those scenes like and as the viewer you're just like oh there she is again like you don't think it's going to be someone different and uh these are, uh, I don't know, these scenes are really funny to me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, no. And then there's the, they didn't use someone that looked like her for the, where they're sitting in front of the painting, right. but they used like a gray uh, thing on her. Like it's 
it's just still like another funny thing to me like Caesar everywhere he goes mm-hmm. things like that so this was the biggest twist for me was when Scotty's in the stalker mood do I call it so he sees Judy who's wearing the green dress so when I watched this for the first time she looked nothing like Madeline to me at all like I thought it was a different actress I didn't even I didn't consider that and they could even be uh, linked to each other. So when he goes up and he's talking to her, she gives no indication that she even knows him. Like, none. Like, she doesn't, like, even even look at him for a minute or give any kind of eye movement. She's just like, what do you want? Like that. And I had no indication that they were the same. And then when they showed the re... They showed the re... Um, or the flashback of her going up the thing complete shock of course I was just like I didn't even know what to say I'm just watching this movie and then she wrote the whole the whole note and I was completely blown away so huge moments for me uh, let's see and that's where you that's where the dialogue from the tower makes sense because she's like it's too late it wasn't supposed to happen this way but they that doesn't make sense until she's writing the note and when she's writing the note She's saying it wasn't supposed to happen this way. I fell in love and something like that. The note's really interesting. I don't know if you know. There was a big debate in the editing of that movie um, of whether to include that scene or not. Yes. Yeah. Was it the note or the flashback? It's it's her writing the note and revealing the whole thing. Um, There was some Mm. people in the the filmmaking process uh, that wanted to wait and just have it revealed at the very end of the movie with the um, necklace yeah with the necklace only and to not have the letter writing scene yeah. in it and Hitchcock decided I, I guess use this clout to make sure it was included I wonder if maybe the question would be whether you would like the audience would get the twist right that it was actually like that she was basically an actress playing Madeline like in order to whatever yeah, I think that's I think that's what one of the concerns was, was whether the audience would understand it or not. Because you might actually think that Scotty's crazy. Right. Without, like, being shown the flashback. Like, you might not make that logical. I um, I actually read about that. And from what I remember reading is that he, he, shared it with, he shared it to some test groups. And it was with the flashback with her, with the flashback in Newt, maybe. And then without the flashback in Newt. And when they saw it without the without that stuff, they said it was like one of the worst movies that he's done. But when he put it in there, they said it was one of his best movies. And so, so no brainer. Yeah, okay. that's that's what I remember reading. I think yeah, it might have yeah. been on the trivia actually. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I I pretty much read the same thing. It was just it's weird. It's weird. One that one scene would make people think oh, yeah. so differently. Yeah, because I because I, I I would prefer not to have it explained to me and just get it. You know, like. That would I actually would love to I and I mean I was of course blown away and shocked with the with the flashback and the new but without it I still would have been like I would have when I saw the necklace I would have got it but I would have been confused too like I would have wanted to know like I would have liked to have seen the flashback with Gavin doing it like the mm-hmm. have the visual of like because that whole part where you see him her go up there and like throw the wife off and grab her mouth and stuff is like so uh it's very uh powerful i guess let's see oh (laughs) one thing that judy does 
like uh, Madeline is that when Madeline goes to Carlotta's house, she goes up to the window and opens it. And is like at the window, like, oh, here I am. And uh, and Judy does the same exact thing. Like Jim's looking for the, uh, Scotty's looking for the the room. And he sees her go to the window and like open it. Like pretty similar to uh, to Madeline. And uh, I think that was like the very, that was the very first hint that they were the same person. But you never, like even before the note, that was like the first kind of like hint. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I don't, and this is going to, this is going to say how uh, awful and superficial I am. But I really, really hate Judy's boobs. Okay. <laughs> like, from the moment I, uh, like just I Judy. Her. Yeah, just Judy. Okay. And then I read on the trivia that she didn't wear a bra for that scene. Mm. And I was like, oh. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, that was also the mystery solved. Yeah, mystery <laughs> solves. So this this was the very first. <laughs> this uh, the note and the flashback. That was the very first movie twist I think I've seen. I mean, I've seen some really good ones since. Like, I mean, Usual Suspects and things like that come to mind. But this twist was uh, ridiculous for for me. So a million things come back to your head after you see that. And uh, I immediately thought of how genius Gavin was for making up that like uh, that whole plot. Like you don't know all the exact details yet, but and uh, I thought it was so funny after after this. I thought it was so funny that uh, he took her to Ernie's, which is where he uh, saw Madeline the first time and all that stuff. Like of all the choices he could have went out to dinner with, he went to Ernie's again. Like you just see the Ernie's background, right, and I'm like yeah. laughing to myself. So. We're coming up to the end of the movie. There's a section called the makeover, which obviously is her, him trying to make her look like uh, Madeline. Yeah. And this this was really awkward for me watching it the first few times. Uh-huh. And it wasn't only awkward for me; it was really. It seemed like it lasted like two hours. Uh-huh. And uh, when I rewatched it, it didn't seem like it only seemed like ten or fifteen minutes this whole process. But like the first few times I watched it, it seemed like it was forever, forever. It was really funny where <laughs> I I laugh out loud every time is where she has pretty much everything's right almost like the, she has the suit and then like he's like your hair because he has like different color hair like <laughs> and she's like oh my god yeah. Yeah, that's so funny to me well it's not only the hair like and then it's like the hair is not exactly the same yeah it's not it doesn't have the yeah and then the, she comes back with and the she hair she doesn't want to do it because she did, like because it's like you know no it just didn't look she right knows. yeah and yeah. it's like you know and it's like he still wants her to i i find that i i, I got a pit in my stomach when i watch that scene like <laughs> he's so damn creepy yeah, like, he's just just it's so perfect, but it's not perfect enough. Right, like, right. It's gonna it be never just, right. Never yeah. satisfied. Uh huh. So the other chill scene, the other chill scene for me is she finally, she finally does what he wants, puts her hair back, and she comes out of the bathroom, mm-hmm. and it's like this fog. Yeah. It's like the ghost again. It's like the ghost yeah. kind of thing from the forest, right. and people say it's the neon lights outside or whatever. I don't know. I think it's just the movie magic kind of thing. So. That's amazing, but when they and then they kiss, and like the camera moves around, and I've heard other people say this is the best moment in in movie history, whatever. But I don't know, I don't know about that. But um, they're kissing, and like it's finally Madeline, and like it's like panning around, and like then it pans, and like they're in the stable at the thing again, at the um, the the Spanish whatever it is. Yeah, the missionary. And uh, 
thought that I thought that was funny to me. I don't know if it was like the an amazing moment, but I uh, I thought of it. I just I get a chuckle out of it every time. Like he's back at like I guess that sends him back to that spot or something, right? Something like that. Okay, now we're at the tower scene. This is the re scene. Oh, when she gets busted with the necklace. Yeah. Um. It's really weird to me that he didn't. Uh, he didn't go off on her. He was just kind of. You could see him. He was looking, and he knew, like the wheels were turning in his head, and he knew. He was putting it together, and he was like this completely destroyed man for nothing, basically. And she's trying to kiss him, and he's like kind of not really responsive, and doesn't really kiss her back, and he's just. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So, let's see. A couple of things about the tower at the end. Besides being shocked again. Is uh, I noticed when he's walking her up to the tower. He says like, G- "Come on, Judy," whatever he says, and then um, maybe he says Madeline, but then he says something else. He says like the string of words, but they had like they muted it. So I was really curious. I was like, I wonder what he uh, said there that was not that didn't really fit in with the movie or something. Like, but actually, I would like to. Uh, I haven't done it, but I would like to look up the script and maybe it's in that or something. Right, it's possible. Yeah. Okay, the uh, the reef climb up this. St- I know. I'll 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 say that I have watched the first part of the movie more than the second part. Like the uh, up to the makeover, I've watched that more than the last half. So when I watched this part, watched it again, I noticed the that lip thing. But then I also noticed that the when they go up the tower, it's a lot more violent than I remember. Mm-hmm it's really it's like he's like basically choking her up there and everything else yeah he's like really rough with her like it's like manhandling it's really uncomfortable to watch like how like into for today's society like how much he's grabbing yeah. her and pull, dragging her like yeah yeah probably not too big of a deal today but back then like probably awful yeah. I'm a terrible person so when I when he got her to the roof and like you saw the feet drag up the steps I chuckled at those <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that, everybody. Um, actually, I'm really jealous of Jimmy because he got he got closure on this. Like, there's things in my life I would like to have closure on with several things, uh-huh. and like this is a huge. This is like the biggest closure of his life, and he got it. Like, I'm uh, very jealous of him, and I'm very proud of him. Man, do you really think that's closure? Like the he had to watch the woman he loved die twice. Well, no, this is before that part. <laughs> oh, okay. This was like oh, when he like saw when he like gets proof. He got all he his was, answers. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, <coughs> yeah not that. Well, let's talk about that. Part. Right. Sorry. So the very end. So I'm watching my VHS tape, and who knows? I don't know how many times this thing has been rewound and 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 whatever to it. So. When they're up at the top and the nun stands up, I just saw this shadow thing. I didn't know it was a nun or anything. I thought it was like the ghost of Carlotta. I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, the ghost is back. And then like everything, all this stuff happens like in a row. And then she, uh, and then she falls off. And I was just kind of like, and then, then the movie just ends. Like there's not even like a final thing or anything. It's yeah, not like the end. It's just him looking down. And it's just like, then it's just like, it's like well, without having vertigo, it seems. It's funny you mention that. There's um, a thing I forgot to mention. It's when he goes to he goes to Carlotta's house, and 
He goes up into her room, right? He goes up the steps. It's fine. Nowhere to go. And then he goes outside. And he's even looking outside to where the car was. And he doesn't have any vertigo at that point either. So I don't know if it's the angle that he has to look at things. But I thought that I, may have been a slight inconsistency there. I think it's not having um, walls around you. Like being the feeling of being suspended. Yeah, that's probably true too. Like the acrophobia portion of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, if I'm secure, in it, like I, I kind of have a fear of heights. Yeah, because if when, I'm enclosed, it's fine. But in, if there's any opening, like any like around me, like I that I get in the out. bell towers when he gets up to the point where it stops being like clear. Um, sort of looking for uh, like banisters, yeah. and it's got like the openings and stuff where he can like see down into the towers when he yeah not able to do it anymore. Yeah. So the last thing I really have to say about the movie is the very end. So I remember you asking me about this before. And um, so back to the dream where Jim, where Scotty is falling. When he's falling, he's doing these crazy, he's doing these crazy pre-manus arms. And uh, it's really awkward looking. It's really weird. Yeah, I know what you mean. So at the very end, that's in his dream. The dream is a complete foreshadow of the whole rest of the movie to me. Okay. And so at the ledge, he's standing there, right? And you can, to me... When he's standing at the ledge, he's starting to raise his arms up and like he's about to do his pre menace arms and he's about to he's about to fall off the ledge, like just like in his dream, and that's pretty much what I think happens at it's the end. He like just <clears throat> I've heard that the dream is like yeah, foreshadowing, like symbolic of what is like, you know, comes at the end is that he's going to jump, you know, or fall. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've I've heard that before. I mean, ultimately, I don't know if that I, that gets question gets asked a lot, like especially in like film classes and stuff like that. But um, ultimately, I don't know if it matters. Like, I mean, he, I think he's dead inside. Oh, <laughs> Even if he completely doesn't jump, dead. Like, you know, I mean, so there's nothing left in there. Yeah, so like, whether it's a spiritual, like you know, like death or a, a real death, like I don't know if it matters for the guy. <clears throat> I remember thinking that after the movie ended, it I'm just sitting there, like I'm like. Shocked, of course. Then I'm like thinking about Scotty, and I'm kind of, I'm like, man, he just lost the woman he loves, basically twice. Like, what else is there to do? Like, does he have anything to lift left to live for? But I never thought, I never considered that he had jumped afterwards. I just thought he was just right. looking down. I never really thought about what happened after the movie ended. But after <sighs> I, after I watched the dream sequence a lot, and and uh, decided it was a bunch of foreshadowing with different things. I'm definitely certain. I don't think he jumped. I think he just kind of fell over. He just kind of like fell over and that was the end of that. But he definitely, I don't want to say definitely jumped, but he right. definitely jumped. <laughs> um, so what things would you say that you, is there anything in this movie that you like, major things that you don't like? I don't like. Besides Kim Novak's breast when she's junior. <laughs> or I guess her real breasts and like, midges and midges hair, uh, midges hair. Yes, right. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't like that the ghost story ended as early as it did. I wish it went on a little bit more. I really enjoyed the ghost story. The whole makeover story was like when I watched it, but like a long time ago, it was so long for me. I wish that mm -hmm. makeover. I mean, the makeover thing for me now when I watch it is fine. Right, but 
maybe that could be a little little shortened. Uh-huh. I mean, everything that they that they had to do, they did it. So it had to have been in there. But they could have maybe maybe he could have shortened it a little bit to because some I think some people might they think the movie's over and they're kind of losing interest. They might not finish it and something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the common like con- uh, contemporaneous like complaints was that it was too long for a murder mystery because murder mysteries didn't usually go on this long like usually they were an hour and a half like yeah. roughly an hour and 35 um so a lot of people complained at the time that it was that they thought it was too long um because this guy when it came out it got mixed reviews it wasn't a classic at first oh, like no. you know like it was very mixed um <clears throat> so like that was one of the common complaints at the time they also thought that it was like too too much, uh, somebody said, a maze of detail. Like, you know, the, that you had to pay attention to, like, all these, like, small things to, like, put it together and figure out, like, what was going on. Oh, Which, man. I mean, shows that what? the letter scene probably, I guess, yeah. needed to be there. That's but, what made it so good. Yeah, right. And then you just, of course, like with most movies, you watch it again and find in more stuff. And then it just turns into your masterpiece, like it has for me. Yeah. So, um... Another thing I wanted to bring up is, um, and this is a more contemporary view, Dave Nuzar of um, Real Film Reviews. We've had him on here a couple of times, like uh, his reviews. But um, he says that basically the entire like midsection of the movie he thinks is really dull hmm. um, in the movie. Um, that's one complaint, and the other major complaint that he has is um, that he doesn't think that there's any reason to really care about any of the characters. What? In the movie? So, like, I'll ask you this then, since you reacted to that. Like, who do you care, like, who do you care about character-wise in this movie? I care about Scotty. Because, okay. uh, yeah, he, he's the one that went through, I mean, yeah, people died. <laughs> but he's the one that went through, uh, through to hell and back for basically just to help his college friend who was just, like, not even, hadn't been in his life for 30 years anyway like it was kind of like right. if he never went that day he would his life would have been okay things like that so mm-hmm. I mean yeah Madeline Judy died but he probably died and for what I know he died anyway after the movie from him right. jumping right so Scotty suffered the most pain I mean Judy like she got her money and was like having a good old time out there with her girlfriends and doing whatever and don't you think like, don't you think that all of Scotty's like Problems are self-inflicted, though. I mean, he does it to himself. I mean, I don't know. You mean he shouldn't have fallen in love, something like that? I mean, if after like ten minutes of knowing somebody, and it's somebody's like wife that he's being paid to investigate. I don't know. It happens. I don't know. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, I find myself like thinking more about the psychology of the characters watching at this time, like especially like. Midge was the person that I started finding myself thinking about the most watching at this time. Is like, what the hell is Midge's role in this movie? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, like, it's funny that you brought up the mother line. Like, mother's here or whatever, like, towards the end. Is because she does kind of serve this motherly... Oh, yeah. Like, thing for um, Scotty's character. But it's like, she's the opposite of what Madeline slash Judy is. Is that she's... You know, she's intelligent. She's successful. She's, yeah, yeah. she's a successful artist. She's also successful in business. You know, she's independent. You know, she's all these things that a like a 
today we don't think quite as much of it, but like back then, well, like, right. you know, she she's was, the opposite of like the Hollywood starlet type, which is like right. beautiful and icy and needs to be taken care of. I mean, she's yeah. like a bohemian whatever. She's almost like from the perspective maybe of that time, like how could you be attracted to Midge when you have someone like Madeline? Right. Who represents like more classical right. female beauty. And like the fact that yeah. like Yeah, and so it's like obviously he doesn't want Midge. You know, like he's not attracted to that. Yeah. Like he wants this classic image of beauty in the sense of the blonde, you know, that, you know, dresses, you know, with this fancy jewelry that like, you know, you know, has you know, it's curvy, you know, like, and has all these, like, standard features and, like, you know, but it's pretty empty, like, overall. Like, there's not a lot of, beyond this oh, ghost yeah, story, she has, she, she has, there's no personality. No personality. Like, Mitch is, like, so much cooler than her. Sure. And I, you kind of, like, wonder, like, like, you gave some examples as to why he might like, um, he might like Madeline, but I would never, like, really be interested in Madeline. She seems so boring to me. Like, I would... Yeah. Even though I don't like Mitch's hair, I would definitely choose her more favored <laughs> right. whatever. But don't you think that, like, to Chris's point, that's just a reflection of Scotty himself? Yeah, like, that's, that, he, that's where I was going with that. Is like he wants, is, yeah. like, is it Scotty's he, fault? Like, is there something broken already in Scotty or right. wrong like, with Scotty in some way? It like, needs to be yeah. easy, and it needs to be something he can control because he can't control. Like he couldn't, he couldn't save the guy from dying. He can't control his acrophobia yeah. or whatever. So. Like a person that's basically just like an empty vessel that he can put his stuff into. Maybe right. that makes and it needs for him. him. Like yeah. you know, that's the that's oh, he yeah. becomes attracted to her when she needs him. When like, he saves her and yeah. Um. So yeah, I just wonder if like Scotty himself like isn't there? There isn't a problem there already, especially when it comes to like you know relationships and stuff like that that isn't already pre-existing that like leads him down this path. I always wondered. Um, like I want to know why Scotty doesn't like Mitch. Like, she seems like, she's, I mean, she's all about him. It's not like she's not nice to look at or anything. And she's she hasn't, successful as a nice place to live. Like, you, the scenery out there is amazing. Like, I don't they know actually get along her. really well. You see that yeah. in those scenes. Yeah, it's yeah. like his best friend. Yeah. yeah. But she she's the one that cut off the engagement <laughs> when they were young. Yes. And yeah. maybe he doesn't want to have to work for it anymore. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Maybe her knowing too much about him being like... But it's obvious that she still is much more interested in him than he seems to be interested in her. Right. So, even if she did cut it off, that un- that the, the unrequited thing is coming from her, not him. So, it leads me to believe that either she probably cut it off because she felt that he wasn't interested. Yeah, I think that is true. You know, or there was a specific reason but like she still felt that way and he doesn't and so it's never won anywhere maybe before. scotty's just not that bright <laughs> well you've mentioned that to me before is you don't think scotty's like yeah i think smart. he's yeah i think he's pretty 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 dumb guy he does make a lot of dumb faces there's a face that we would make fun of uh dixon and i would do it all the time uh-huh. is when he goes he sees madeline go into um carlotta's house and open the open the um open the windows yeah and people listening can't see my face but like he does this head movement where he's like mm-hmm. yeah and we would do that all the time we were like oh we're going inside and we would go mm-hmm. yeah shaking his head and like yeah it's, uh-huh. it's but i mean like so he he immediately believes 
And, like, I know that, like, I, I really appreciate the whole, like, ghost story aspect of it, too, early on. Especially, like, the first time you see it when you think that might be a possibility. But this is a man who is supposedly a seasoned detective in a major city's police force, even though he's, like, retired at that point. That maybe he would have a little bit more detective skills to kind of, like, research instead of just be like, oh my god, she's possessed. <laughs> well, I mean, like, to that point, it's like, you know... It, this guy comes in, like, brings him in, this old friend of his that he hasn't seen in a long time, and tells him, tells him the story. Well, like, ask him the question, like, what is it like, do you believe the dead the, can take over the yeah. body of the living? Like, he's he like, get, no. Right, and he's like, no, that's ridiculous. I think somebody would have to see a psychiatrist if, like, right. that were the case. Like, and, like, so it's like, he gets fed this Edgar Allan Poe plot, and then, like, he's like, yeah, that's crazy. Like, that's not real. And then within, like... 20 minutes right. of the movie like not a, you know but a couple days he's like I think this is real I think this is what's happening like you know the dead's taking over the body of the living it's really it's a really I mean I think bizarre... he wants to believe it too because he's so attracted to her right yeah. and to, you know to your both of your point like he feels like he can save her so yeah. that makes her attractive too what kind of like but I mean what kind of detective stuff could you do and you could look up Carlotta I guess right or you could like look up pictures of Elster's like wife or something and how maybe trail On her back internet? to their house <laughs> like you could like I don't think that he knew anything about but he didn't know anything about her like yeah but Elster's wealthy right like doesn't he own a importing company isn't that the, yeah. the thing but to to Scotty that's his wife he doesn't know differently that's true I just, I, I just feel like this man with all these resources and supposed detecting skills would, like, jump to a different conclusion than the ghost story <laughs> is what's really yeah. happening. The possession. I'll tell like, you the thing that, because you talked about all the things you laughed at. The thing I laughed at probably the most, it's really sad, but I, I still, like, was sitting there watching, I was laughing at it, is the courtroom scene. That's the best scene. That's it's my, like where they're where, where like they're they're clearing him and saying that he's not responsible, but like low key, like everything they say is like yeah, you're I'm, blamed for all this. Yeah. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying you have a weak character, but you definitely have a weakness of character. <laughs> right. Yeah, they do do that. It's a, it's a really funny. We're not scene. saying that people would live if you weren't a spineless man, <laughs> but most people would probably not be dead. <laughs> He's like, and you, he's in responsibility for two deaths or something. He's yeah. Like, he's, a, he's hurt because he's got two deaths under his belt. And then when you know the movie, it's like so ironic because like these guys are like, yeah, you're totally to blame for this thing, yeah. even though you're getting off. And then the guy who's really to blame for all of it comes over and is like, you're not to blame. <laughs> like, it's cool. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> if there's anything I can do, you let me know. Mm-hmm. I'll be over here in Europe where they can't extradite me. <laughs> You, Interesting uh, that he gets away with it too. Yeah. Did you uh, hear about the alternate ending? Um, I want to say that I have heard about it before, but it's been in... so I read about it since it was the uh, the days where the bad guys can't get away. They Hitchcock filmed a scene where Midge Midge is like on the radio listening to like um, a police chase, like and it's like oh Gavin's the police are after him, I don't know something like that, and then like. Scotty comes in the apartment and they like they get it they pour a drink or I don't know something like that but that was like the to please the censors and right. Hitchcock's like they end up putting that in there and like just didn't put it in that'd there that'd be a really dumb ending yeah yeah yeah. it really would it, it wouldn't fit with the tone of that movie like whatsoever no <clears throat> I was okay. gonna say yeah, uh, what, go ahead I was gonna say um, another Hitchcock thing is that <clears throat> when the movie came out it was a bomb right right 
And Hitchcock blamed it on Jimmy Stewart. Yes. He said that he uh, was too old and couldn't get the attention of whatever. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's kind of... He thought it was unbelievable, like, yeah. his, him being 49, my, Jack being younger. Yeah. My argument against that, though, is that Elster's older, too. And it's right. having an affair with this woman. I mean, there's plenty of women that are attracted to older men, so it's not outside the realm of... It's more unbelievable that Midge and Scotty were in college together Yes, yeah. than it yeah. is that a young woman could fall in love with a, like, a handsome... I think what Hitchcock is saying, though, like uh, I think what he's saying is that for audiences, it's still like, you know, it just didn't make a good pairing on yeah. screen because he looked so old. Not necessarily because he is right. old, but because he looks so old. Yeah, he does have gray hair too in it. He does. Yeah. He does look old in it. Yeah, uh, and I think I think that's what Hitchcock was saying is that it just doesn't make a good movie poster. Like for like what is right. the problem is though it's not a it's not a love story. Like so it's like to to blame it on now if he's just talking about advertising making that claim, like the movie poster doesn't look good because he looks fifty and you know she <laughs> yeah. looks young. Okay, maybe I can see that if he's just talking about advertising. But the movie itself, it's not a love story, so why do you care if they look? Right. To, to me, of all the things I have to suspend my disbelief with in this movie, like, that <laughs> is, like, the smallest thing. Right. So. Yeah. Okay, any final thoughts on this? Um, I have a couple of weird trivia things. Uh-huh. Just only two things. I do want to say that I have a Vertigo tattoo on my leg. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh... So the Vertigo movie poster is orange with the with the uh, white swirl, but I had to, I had to have them invert the colors for obvious reasons. So I have a a big old orange swirl on my leg with with uh, Kim and James both possibly falling off the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, you guys have you seen I've it? I've seen it. Yeah. 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 Um, only two weird trivia things <laughs> I have were that it was the first movie that has computer graphics ever like the beginning is the computer graphic hmm. and they uh used this music and you're talking about the credits like with the the beginning with like the sten sten what's it called the the swirly thing oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay gotcha okay. what's that uh machine called the spirograph or whatever spirograph yeah mm-hmm. it's yeah. <laughs> <Stensograph. laughs> <laughs> yeah first uh i okay. thought that was really interesting yeah who knows what computer they made those with but, right. um Size of this room, right? Uh, yeah, probably with, bigger. <laughs> with one with the brand corporation, right. like you know, like one be- megabyte memory. Yeah, it's like a city block, so like big. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, other thing is that they actually used this movie in the artist. So I actually watched the artist. I don't know when it was, a few years ago. I like the Vertigo. The love Vertigo music came on, and I was like, "That's uh, music from Vertigo." And I thought that was really weird. And Kim Novak was really mad about it. That's about it. Okay. Well, thank you for walking through. Um, Frank, we are now going to move on to your number one, your top Hitchcock movie, um, which is what? Shadow of a Doubt. So go ahead and explain just briefly what the movie's about and what you like about it so much. Uh, so, follows a family, lives in Santa Rosa, California. Mother, father, three children, the oldest of which is uh, Charlotte, whose nickname is Charlie. Um, Charlotte oh, yeah. has played by Teresa Wright. Yeah, the sense of ennui feels like her family's got no soul to him anymore. Um, across country in Philadelphia, um, there's a man who's living in like a one room hotel room and is being pursued for some reason um, by these like men in suits um, who escapes 
you find out is the Uncle Charlie of this family, um, the namesake where uh, Charlotte's nickname comes from. Um, by the amazing Joseph Cotton. Yeah, Joseph Cotton, and like my favorite Joseph Cotton role, I think. Um, So his plan is to come to visit his family across country in Santa Rosa so he can escape these people that are trailing him. Um, So he goes out to stay with the family. Uh, Everyone is elated. Uh, The mother idolizes him. He's her younger brother. Um, Young Charlie is like completely enamored with him. Um, to the point where she feels like him being there is going to fix like all the ills of their family, all the perceived ills of their family, um, which really isn't anything because they have a pretty decent life, like yeah. in a really nice house in a quiet, crime-free sure. um, area. Uh, so Charlie's there, Uncle Charlie's there, um, starts to give gifts, is like bragging about his sort of like almost like jet setter lifestyle that he lives off on the east coast and all these things that he's done and all this money that he makes and kind of like humble bragging and like sort of shaming the father of the family with i'm going to put forty thousand dollars in your bank can your bank take that much money and starts to give these gifts out to people and gives charlie who he also professes to like love very much and is his favorite um this emerald ring which when charlie examines it realizes it's engraved on the inside with i think it's ts ts2 something else it's like two initials right um so young charlie begins to become suspicious of like uncle charlie um compounded by the fact that there's these two men that show up that are from a quote-unquote survey uh that are looking for like the all-american family that surreptitiously take a picture of uncle charlie that he gets mad at and tries to have the film destroyed um are asking questions about him um, the younger of the surveyists asks uh, young Charlie out on a date. Young Charlie immediately suspects that he's a detective and asks him. And it turns out that Uncle Charlie is a suspect in a string of murders called the Merry Widow Murders, which are older rich women who have been strangled and then robbed by this unknown assailant. It's revealed that there's two suspects for these murders, one of which is Uncle Charlie, the other of which is a man who's currently being trailed like up the east coast into um i think like new england so young charlie who's really the only like intelligent person in the whole movie aside from uncle charlie um puts together a series of clues and figures out that uncle charlie is the murderer and honestly one of my favorite things about this movie is that hitchcock never really hides the fact that uncle charlie is the guilty party like there's not so much of a mystery it's more you know the inevitable conclusion it's figuring out how everyone gets there and who ends up you know like surviving in the end basically i hate to interrupt be the you're kind of preempting some criticism that i that i that i found and there's not a lot out there but there's some and um a lot of audience members i thought uh, say that they thought that by revealing the killer so soon that that you know that charlie is like behind it like that, that he's the right. mary widow murderer that it actually undercuts the film and they find it to be duller in the second half because of that. See, I think that's, I don't, I mean, I, I don't agree with that. I right, think that it actually heightens obviously. the tension because there's a part of you that really likes Uncle Charlie. Like, even though Uncle Charlie's like menacing and a creep, like he's still, you kind of have this hope of like redemption for him in some way, or at least like that no one's going to have to like die or suffer from it that maybe he'll be able to like just go away and like leave them in peace and so you never know like 
the first time watching the movie that that dread you have and sort of like the almost false hope you have it a couple times that maybe it's just over and that he can leave like i think that's more impactful than I mean, I would be. I think I would I, I be think bored. it ups. The, yeah, I agree with you. I think it ups the terror that you feel for young Charlie. For young Charlie, who's the right. central character of the movie, right? And seeing her. I mean, what do you think she is like? Probably like eighteen or nineteen. Nineteen, I would say. Like, she's just graduated. Recently. Yeah, she has not not long out of high school. Yeah. So for this young woman to be, have to be like basically the backbone of her family, and hold this like terrible secret, both from, you know her immediate family from the police all the detective that's like professed his love for her and says he wants to marry her all in an effort just to like kind of protect her mother who she's you know established throughout the movie views as long suffering and worthy of more respect than what she feels like she gets um so uncle charlie sets up a couple of different traps basically for young charlie to try and kill her uh fails at every turn and then finally is confronted again by basically she shows him the ring and i guess is like showing him that she's willing to turn him in and he says he's going to leave um which leads to a final confrontation on the train as uncle charlie is leaving and leads to the end of the movie uncle charlie's death and eulogy at the town um because uncle charlie's beloved by everyone in the movie except for young charlie who's the person in the initial the outset of the movie that loved him the most right um which also creates like some really great dramatic tension as he's realizing that his control over her is like going away because she knows what he is and she's realizing i guess how much power she has over him like it's kind of like it, it the dynamic is flipped from where he has all the power and she's just like the young waif and then all of a sudden towards the end including the fact that she's the one that ends up like sort of not really pushing him off the train but in saving herself causes him to fall mm-hmm. off the train and die um that she has all the power and that dynamic towards the end which is really, to me, for a movie... What what year is this 1943. Movie? Yeah, so for a movie that's so old to have, like, a young woman have that much, like, power in it is pretty pretty impactful and pretty important, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'd say this movie's way ahead of its time in some ways. Brilliant performances from every, uh, every actor, I think. Um, especially Cotton um, as Uncle Charlie, who has this perfect blend of, like... <coughs> like suave menace kind of like he's very friendly and very you know gregarious and you want to like uncle charlie like he seems like a good guy that you know is just like good to be around but he's also this terrible murderer i mean he's got the one scene during the i think it's like the third dinner scene in the movie when um hume crone who plays the father's like best friend their their hobby is to talk about murders and how they would kill each other and how they would get away with it which and is really good comic relief, I think. It really is. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of Arsenic and Old Lace, yes, in a way, in yeah. that, in the mm-hmm. sense it's like that gallows humor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it leads Uncle Charlie to basically say that, what do you do with animals when they get old? You know, when they're old and fat and wheezing. Oh, and, I actually have that whole thing written yeah, down because it's so powerful. Like, they're, they're no good to anyone anymore. You just gotta, you gotta kill them. Yeah, he's talking about, like, the, he's, it's when he, like, finally reveals himself, like, as, um, about what the widows, um, and he says, and these men die, and they leave their money to their wives, their silly wives. And what do these wives do, these useless women? You see them in the hotels, the best hotels, every day by the thousands, drinking the money, eating the money, losing the money at bridge, playing all day and all night, smelling of money, 
proud of their jewelry, but of nothing else. Horrible, faded, fat, greedy women. Are they human or are they fat, wheezing animals? And what happens to animals when they get too fat and too old? Like, it's so menacing. Yeah. It's, like, it comes out of, like, nowhere, like, really, too. Like, it's just, like, wi- like widows get mentioned in some way, and he just goes off. Like, it's it's really good. Because they talk about the Mary Widow Killer still being on the lo- still being at large it's just it's again like the i can't remember hume crone's character's name but he comes over to hang out in the middle of dinner like this awkward herbie herbie guy that just like shows up like randomly in their house to just like you know hang out and talk about like killing Mm -hmm. the father um and they bring it up um so cotton though is just he's he's amazing in it and i i love that performance and i love the interplay between the two charlies um, it's also like brilliantly shot and I, something that I don't think you can ever say too much about Hitchcock because Hitchcock really is like, I don't know. So like essential in terms of like modern filmmaking, just in shot composition and the way that he uses tracking shots yeah. and the way he uses like long shots. And we talked about this, you know, Ryan talked about it a lot yeah. during the vertigo, but you know, there's scenes in this movie, like when the detectives are still posing as the surveyors and they're up in the top floor of the house and you see uncle Charlie like slowly ascend the stairs and his shadow come towards the Venetian blinds on the door. And like, Mm -hmm. then he's like there like filling the door and just framed and menacing. And the way that it's all filmed is just, there's a shot early on in when they're still in Newark, um, where he tricks the two detectives. Right. That's a brilliant shot. Like looking down. (laughs) Right. I, I was, and then it pans up. So like him on the roof, yeah, smoking his like, cigar. Yeah, yeah he's already up there. The, one so of the good. things, yeah. it's it's funny you mentioned that because that was one of the things I was going to bring up about like my favorite things about this movie is in movies of that time you rarely see like scenery for what it is, right? Like it's it's almost always just sets, you know. Yeah. Where, but that shot of Philadelphia, like from the top down into these alleys where there's trash and there's dirt. And there's disrepair of, like... Like, you can see the sidewalks cracked and the pavements cracked. It just adds this really... This really, like, strong element of, like... Like, cinema verite to the beginning of that. That he's fleeing it. And then when they get to the town where everything's, like, so idyllic. It's almost like, um... What's that? Like, Leave it to Beaver or something. Where it's just, like, perfect pick-a-fence houses and perfectly manicured lawns and everything's... Even the, the the seedy bar that Uncle Charlie drags young Charlie into mm-hmm. to basically confront her and tell her like yeah that's another great scene yeah incredibly yeah, tense and yeah especially with I mean the comic relief to some degree of the girl complaining about yeah the former schoolmate yeah um, what I wouldn't do for a ring like that right, <laughs> right. yeah yeah um which also just highlights the fact of why like Uncle Charlie is able to do what he does because. Yeah. that's all the people see like it's right. the only person that sees through uncle charlie the entire movie is young charlie right. and it's just it's and, and and the thing is, is he never shies away because they they kind of like hint early on that there is almost this kind of like slight supernatural connection where the supernatural goes away in vertigo like completely and it really is just this horrible human tragedy really like they never shy away from the idea that these two people are very closely connected. Yeah, maybe psychically connected. Like, like slightly, yeah, like psychically connected. That, like, you know, that her wishing for Uncle Charlie to come and he actually is coming. Right. And like, 
you know, and that they feel very close to one another. I mean, it gets into another element of the movie. That's very it's also it, it's interesting too, though, because, and this is true, like for my my mother's family, um, because they, um, you know, my my grandparents are all Depression era, like so it's the same age range basically. Sure. Um, Charlie, un, young Charlie's mother is significantly older than Uncle Charlie, and I think yes. they even say at one point that it's like maybe fifteen years or something like yeah. that. That she's older than him? Yes. So, Uncle Charlie and Young Charlie are much closer in age. Like... Right. They're almost in that acceptable, like, dating or marriage, especially oh, for, like, they the are. 1940s. Yeah. They are. And I think there is that element where... I think Uncle Charlie immediately knows what he has to do <clears throat> with a woman to get a woman on his side. And it's the fact that Young Charlie is not, like, a stereotypical damsel in distress... You know, and the the police officer, the detective, Dick, is that his name, I think? Jack. Jack. Um, Graham. Who's in love with her, like, in, like, ten seconds, falls in love with her and wants to marry her. Sure. Like, he's an idiot, and he can't figure out, you know, (laughs) the case. Like, he just, like, as soon as they find out the other suspect died, it's like, well, that solves that. Like, we're we're called off the case. We're going home. Like, I'll be back for you at some point. And it's only Charlie that can see the sinisterness. And maybe that's part of that, like, pseudo psychic connection between the two of them but i think it's just the fact that she's like the only like cognizant intelligent person aside from her younger sister in the entire movie right um the the relationship between those two is something that you can't like not talk about i think between young charlie and uncle charlie in how bordering on inappropriate it is right well he he like, treats he treats her everyone else is like it's all bombast. It's all him, like... It's all grandiose statements and look how great I am. With her, it's, it feels like courting the entire time. Yeah. To the point where he slips the ring on her finger, almost like he's proposing yes. to her. You know, like... Well, he t- there's ways that he touches her. Like, I mean, they Hitchcock purposely films, like... When, they, when he shows up at the train station and they show them walking towards each other and they show, like, the... The single shot like tracking of like her moving and of him coming mm-hmm. closer and of them coming towards each other it's set up like a like a rom-com of the time right. period of two lovers like seeing each other at the train station like you know and then like the way he touches her sometimes like you know is way too familiar um like and it's like you're touching a lover and it's, yeah, it's I, really disturbing at times like i, I really think it's it's meant to to give you mixed emotions from the outset about Uncle Charlie. Sure. So, whereas in a, in a typical, like, if this were filmed, like, a typical, like, suspense movie, you would have no idea that Uncle Charlie's even a suspect mm-hmm. or that there's even any chance until there would be, like, that, whatever, that turning point in the movie where you would find out, oh, my God, it's him. And then it would be, like, a chase and whatever. Mm-hmm. This, like, you know pretty much from the opening scene that this guy did it. Or at least, like, has done something where he feels right. like he needs to get away from the authorities. And it's just little things where it but builds... But do you, though? I mean, like, at the beginning of that, do you know they're cops? Like, isn't there the possibility when you're watching it that he could be a spy? Well, they bring like, up... Isn't the Mary Widow murderer is, like, in the very first scene, isn't it? Doesn't he look at a newspaper, like, 
before he? he leaves and it says it on there? He's in the hotel, I think. And yeah. He's looking at something. Yeah. Does he? And it's, they it's, show it that it, early? It's after the woman says there were some men here looking okay. for you. All right. Yeah. And then he like picks up the newspaper okay. and then he yeah. looks out the window and sees him standing okay. there. That's yeah. when he yeah, so, yeah. like flees. So I, I mean, for, for me, like yeah. immediately, like I yeah. knew this is the guy that's doing these things. And then you also like, what is it? Like 15 minutes into the movie, they bring up the surveyors that are there asking questions about, you know, we won this contest, but whatever. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty apparent that he did it. Right. And then like, you know, even if it, even if it's not immediately apparent, like him crumbling up or cutting out that part. Well, of right. The I was thinking that newspaper was when um, you put it together, but I forgot that there was a newspaper in the very beginning. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think you're supposed to know, and I think you're supposed to get this feeling of impending dread of like, what is he capable of doing to this woman and i think the fact that it should or you know to young charlie the fact that it shows him putting his hands on her in like an uncomfortable and familiar way shows that he doesn't shy away from sure the fact that towards the end when he actually is trying to kill her like it it feels i think that's a mistake to do in the first scene why i like that oh i don't it's one like, of my favorite I, I don't things about being there. It's like actually i don't like it being the very first scene it's one of my i think favorite it would be about... better for him to come out and have that newspaper because it kind of takes away then what the revelation for her in the library then I think it takes something away from it like because you already know so you're right, just looking you, for her reaction right but you don't matter she's what matters yeah, like I said it's not a traditional mystery it's not yeah. about like what you know and don't know it's about the fact that you know and you're like watching like seriously, it's one of the it most. It moves it from five minutes to forty-five minutes, and I think there might be some more investment there. Like, well, you were still invested, sure, right? So there you go. <laughs> Just pretend like it's not there. I guess. I, I love it. I, I mean, it's it, it's it's one of my favorite things about the movie is the fact that it's like an anti-mystery, basically. Yeah. It's like an anti. The suspense comes from like trying to figure out how it ends, as opposed to trying to figure out what the mystery is that leads to the end. I feel that way about a lot of Hitchcock, though, honestly. What's that? That I kind of like watching Hitchcock <laughs> movies, even for the first time, that I kind of know what's going to happen. And maybe that's just because he's so... Like, there's so many tropes sure. in modern, like, pop culture about Hitchcock no, that I maybe mean, it's... Hitchcock's his own climate when it comes to film. You right. know, I mean, like, everybody knows, like, most of his movies and the major scenes and, like, how he films things. And, I mean, to, to me, the joy of, like, watching Hitchcock movies is figuring out, like, I know what the end result's going to be, but how does Hitchcock get me from point A to point B? Because it's pretty convoluted in a lot of his movies, and sure. that makes it more interesting, as opposed to, like... It's not like, you know, watching Verbal Klimt walk out of the police station at the end of Usual Suspects for the first time. Right. Where that's like a huge shock. It's like, it's not a shock. It's just really interesting and brilliant to see how Hitchcock gets you from one point to the other. I like that a lot. I think I, I think I probably go when I watch Hitchcock because I've seen all of his movies already. Um, I think I, I probably pay more attention to like the filmmaking process, like you know shot composition sure. like how, how he's actually filming those scenes a lot of times anymore <clears throat> or like if they're color like the color choices and stuff like the stuff of vertigo with like right the way vertigo he, the way he uses green with death like in that movie is incredible like i just love i i love the blue of vertigo like the the sky and the ocean and mm -hmm. the way that they frame well the Stewart's exterior head. shots oh my god the exterior shots in that movie are insane right like 
But this here, like, I mean, it's it's the early drafts, I guess, are written by Thornton Wilder, like of um, Shadow of a Doubt, mm-hmm. um, which feels really perfect, like, you know, considering, like, the nature of Santa Rosa and how they're trying sure. to portray that. Um, you know, and this kind of, like, like darkness that, like, kind of comes in this idyllic town. Um, but I even love the town itself. Like, right. the idea that, like, you know, the it feels real. Like, when sure. she's, like, walking around or, like, running at night to the, to the library to catch it before it closes at 9 o'clock, like... Well, because everyone knows her. It's got, right. it's a very, like, wholesome, small-town yeah. feeling. And that's another thing that I love about it is that Uncle Charlie is beloved by everyone in this town. Like, everyone admires him and looks up to Even him. Even after and, he's dead. Yeah, like, they're eulogizing right. him with, like, the entire town turned out for this funeral. And the fact that you're, you and Charlie are the only ones that know that he's <laughs> this evil element. I mean, I, I think it adds, like, it really, it, 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 it invests you in her in her story more than it would I think if it was a surprise to you to know because you know the entire time so you're you're with her knowing like what she knows and knowing what she's trying to you know prevent which is Charlie like Uncle Charlie destroying their family which I think is also like really brilliantly done and he's such an egotist like he can't help it like he still just wants to stay even though he knows that she knows and he knows that he's the killer. Right. Like, oh, maybe I can make a fresh start of it here and settle down and look at that look at that tasty widow over there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, um, uh, from critics and ninety percent from audiences. Hmm. Um Bosley Crother from the New York Times contemporaneously, like in forty three, um, which I cannot think of any better name for a movie right. reviewer from 1943 than Bosley Crother. Um, <laughs> but he um, uh, he I, he was like the critic for like 30 years or something like that. Like, because I've seen stuff from him in the 60s and stuff. Like, um, so like, he liked the movie overall. He gave a positive review. Um, he, he points out the thing where it's like he thinks like maybe it's a little anticlimactic time at times because of the the reveal being too early, um, but he uh, says that he he keeps the tightrope uh, taut throughout it despite that like you know like that's what the basically the the act uh, what that movie should be about then at that point if you're going to do that is to keep the tightrope taut which he does, but he says at the end he felt like a little um, like a little empty almost like in the sense of that like what's like about the moral of the whole thing so um he says that the uh, that the moral is either antisocial or best obscure he says when uncle charlie's niece so when young charlie concludes quite cynically that the world is a horrible place and the young detective with whom she has romanced answers sometimes it needs a lot <clears throat> a lot of watching seems to go crazy every now and then like uncle charlie he says that the idea of mixing like you know the seriousness of that with like how like trivial like a like just creates this absurd effect and that um he doesn't really feel that it like works very much like you know of like trying to give you any kind of meaning behind the story i don't know i think it's tragic yeah. I mean, number one, leading up to that end, like, you're waiting for Jack to come and save young Charlie. Because that's, like, that's how things went, you know. 
during like movies i mean pretty much forever that the damsel in distress is going to get saved by the dashing hero mm-hmm. you know at the last minute but it doesn't happen like she has to murder her uncle basically and it's changed her from being this almost like abstract philosopher like this idealist to being like absolutely cynical to where she's willing to just become her mother to save like her family from the terror of knowing like what happened i mean it's a very it's a very dark look at that's, you know. wh- that's where i was trying to get off air i think and and you just got there much more succinctly tonight like um yeah it's like they they set up this girl who's this rebel kind of rebellious doesn't like her the fact that her father is like you know ignores his mother hangs out with herbie all the time talking about crime um thinks her mother's ignored by all the housework she does and raising the kids and all those kind of things feels bad for her, sympathizes with her um doesn't think money's everything and you know seems like she would not want to become her mother because of that sympathy and this whole thing is like uncle charlie seems adventurous and exciting and then right. this whole thing's like ruined that kind of idealism and optimism and has like put her in a position where she's going to be now probably her mother again like by marrying jack gray or even worse the girl that works in the um the saloon or the bar or whatever because her posture and her demeanor like the way that like her speech affect changes in that last scene i mean she's much yeah. more just this like shell of a person it's, it's yeah. a really depressing ending to that yeah. movie um but again like you know you look at like heroines of films like throughout time and even like some of the strongest like to use one of like our all of our favorite movies in raiders of the lost ark you know marion ravenwood is a really strong independent female character that still needs to be saved by indiana jones sure and charlie young charlie doesn't she has to save herself and in the end like you know like what's left of her because of it right and the secret that she has to carry forever with this doofus who couldn't even figure out like you know right like anything so we, we we talked about this a little bit off air prior to the podcast what do you think do you think that Hitchcock has this feeling that law enforcement is not very bright or not very effective? <clears throat> yeah, I forgot to think about that today because I've been busy, but it's, um, I, I was trying to, like, I did try to go through his movies last night after I talked to you, like, a little bit. I'm trying to think of, like, positive portrayals of police, and <clears throat> there's not a lot. I mean, it's almost always an everyman that, right, that solves the, the case. Sure. Or that no one solves the case, basically. Can't think of any? So, I mean, like... And these guys aren't bad people. But they're way too blunt in their techniques. I mean, they're just immediately like, Hey, you know that, like, relative you love that just came to stay with you? We think he's a killer. Here's why we think he's a killer. Here's the evidence against him. And here's the other guy we're looking at. Just to let you know. Please don't (laughs) tell anybody. Right. We're going to hang out over here. I mean, it's just like it's it's the worst detective work ever. And like that, the whole uh, I just wanted to say earlier, you were talking about the alley scene, and they're like running around, they're all lost, and then like they just they come around and they're like, oh, they're gonna get him, and they just meet each other, right? Like they like, makes it look like idiots, right? It's almost like a three a three stooges like yeah. sketch from like like sixty feet in the air where you're just watching like boop, 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 and they come <laughs> up to each other and. <laughs> Like, there's, there's like, brilliant Uncle Charlie smoking his cigar. and like He's yeah, already on, like, the third floor somewhere. And I gotta still... get to California. <laughs> and the other thing, too, that, 
Yeah, like, I, I I'm like going through his list of movies like as main characters. <laughs> like Scotty's the only one that is the actual investigator that I'm looking. But has really not been an investigator for several years sure, at that I, point sure. too. No, um, you're right. The other thing about this movie, and I don't know if this is a criticism, but the Mary Widow Killer, nobody knows what he looks like. Yeah. They have these two suspects that they're trailing on opposite ends of the country, <laughs> but they don't know. They have no, like, evidence of who the man is. And then the one guy dies, and even though, like, they have this photograph of Uncle Charlie that they can take back and corroborate, like, this guy was in these places, they're like, well, you know, the one guy's dead, and why would he, like, run to his death if he wasn't guilty? So, we're just gonna go home. Like, peace out. Have fun living with this psychopath. Yeah, Ebert mentions that in his review. Even though he gives it four stars, he talks about how it's kind of implausible. But I don't know that it's implausible as much as it is. I I think it's a subtle condemnation on Hitchcock's part of, like, law enforcement's detection techniques. I mean, because you definitely have, like, really strong portrayals of detectives up to this point in cinema. You know, not even just with, like, Sherlock Holmes or whatever, but there's plenty of, like, noir from this time where oh, sure. there's brilliant detectives, and yeah. there's no brilliant detective in a Hitchcock movie. Or at least, even if they're not brilliant, they're competent, you know? And, like, Jack Graham's not very competent. It's also interesting, too, and I was thinking about this when Ryan was talking about Vertigo. As much as Hitchcock, like, kind of fetishizes the whole bombshell look of women, mm-hmm. like, Hitchcock has a really amazing amount of respect for like the power of women to be independent and to do things on their own which is really strange because you know you read about Hitchcock as a personality and like there's plenty of women that not like working right. with him because Most he was them. kind of a bully on the set like in terms of doing exactly what Scotty does in Vertigo in the sense of like you know this is what you need to wear this is how you need to you know like sit like you know you need to position your arms this way like and he was really rough on him. So, like, Vertigo, in some ways, I know I know Ebert and, like, there's plenty of others that sit there and see that as a self-reflection on his own, you know, right. um, kind of obsession with controlling women. Like, that that's what Hitchcock's kind of doing some, somehow psychologically, like, with himself. But, um, <clears throat> but, like, you're right. Like, there's this weird thing where it's, like, he kind of has, he likes strong women, but he also controls women. Like it's 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 a very odd dichotomy. I guess yeah. I, I don't know how to make any sense of it. Other than that, though, and again, like I don't, I I could go through any Hitchcock movie and give you some small thing where I would say like my suspension of disbelief is kind of strained, or I feel like there's like a logical leap that has to be made to get from one point to another in his films, which I'm okay with because like I think that they're all brilliantly shot, um, and I just. I don't know. I I love the story this movie tells. I love the I love Joseph Cotton as a serial killer. It's like a I don't know, such a creepy and amazing performance and really like no complaints about it at all. One of my favorite movies of all time, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I um Yeah, no. I I I I'm re- I'm still really torn on the whole thing. Like I re- I wonder if really Rear Window isn't my favorite probably. Like, personally? I mean, I think Rear Window's fantastic. Yeah. And again, like, I love Psycho, and I love Vertigo. I think yeah. Vertigo's one of the most beautiful movies ever shot. Yeah. Um, but there's just something about, like... I love the Charlie-Uncle Charlie dynamic. That's my favorite part of that whole movie there. And then, like, Vertigo is, like, my favorite stuff is the 
is the Bernard Herman score and just the shots. Right. Like, the, the way it's shot. It's such a beautiful film. Yeah, like, the angles. Know, yeah. The way that... And honestly, like, I, I like the fact that Stuart looks old in it because the way that he frames Stuart against, like, the architecture and the, like, scenery is just, it's so yeah. perfect. But one of the things that's hard to express about Hitchcock, like, you asked, like, what you liked about Hitchcock is, like, you're feeling the first time you see one of his movies. And it's it's almost impossible to, like, recapture that feeling ever. But I, I think back to the first time I saw Shadow of a Doubt, like, I didn't know anything about it. I yeah, never I read know. about it. Right. So, just, like, seeing it and being so brazen about here's our killer, like, it was just... Like, you know, Ryan used the term, like, that it, like, blew your mind. Like, it's just mind-blowing the first time you see it. Mm. Same thing with, like, the first time I saw, I don't know, like, Rear Window and Vertigo and, like, Rope and North by Northwest. I mean, there's things in every movie that, because, like, we're so familiar with them because Hitchcock's, like, was everywhere when we were kids growing up, especially. um, You kind of, like, forget, like, how amazing it is the first time you see those things happen. So. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, it's funny, like, I I was thinking about, like, you know, we did M. Night Shyamalan on the Third Man series, you know, a couple months ago, and I don't know if you remember, but it's, like, those early comparisons with M. Night Shyamalan because of, like, the way he classically, like, his classical shot composition, Uh like, you know, like, those comparisons early on where it was, like, oh, like, you know, he's, like, young Hitchcock, um, you know. um, But then you uh, you watch, like, actual Hitchcock and... And you realize that, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, like, that, that there's not any, <laughs> right? And don't get me wrong, like I, there's there's stuff that M Night does that's sure. really Sh- Shyamalan has like some great shots in every movie, sure. but shooting down a spiral staircase in The Sixth Sense doesn't make you right, you know, yeah, Alfred Hitchcock, right? Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's anybody that's like come along besides maybe Kubrick. I'm, I'm just trying to think of like who comes along that does shot composition and like no. angles and you know like movement as well as like Hitchcock does I mean, just from a purely I would argue that Bergman and Bert, right Kurosawa and yeah Goddard and but those are kind of contemporary like a lot of those are contemporaries and stuff like that or, sure you know. I mean Scorsese's got a lot of Hitchcock in him right um I don't know that's tough Paul Thomas Anderson maybe yeah, I don't know. I feel like... I mean, he's got a lot of Robert Altman in him. Yeah, I, I feel like, like he's more I mean? Altman and Cassavetes than he is Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, I mean, you, you can see that he, like, you know, and there will be blood and drunk punch. Uh, punch drunk, yeah. Punch drunk. Um, that he he definitely has that ability, like, to do a lot of, like, kind of, like, Hitch, Hitchcockian filming. But I think the fact that you're saying that just speaks to how amazing Hitchcock is because... Things that he sort of, like, developed, like, camera techniques and the use of, like, framing in very specific ways, like, shooting at, like, a slight, like, Dutch angle or, like, shooting, like, a, like, what would normally be a close shot in medium or, like, a medium shot in far or, like, you know, like, subverting your expectation for how the film should look. I, I think that just became... It's, like, just spread throughout all of... Like, I, I don't know yeah. that you can make a movie and not take something from... Sure. Yeah. Something that Hitchcock... That is one thing developed. I noticed, and I didn't even write it down to think about it, but now that you mentioned Dutch, like, if we really start nitpicking Shadow of a Doubt, it's, like, half the Dutch angles that he uses, I, I don't like. Like, I don't like them at all. Like, the, his use of them in the movie, like, if I really want to nitpick. 
It doesn't um, bother and me. And then there's some that are like it's actually one works. That's absolutely right. Like, one of my favorite angles, one of my favorite use of Dutch angle in the movie is when Uncle Charlie is cradling young Charlie after she's been quote unquote rescued from being stuck in the garage with the running car, mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. she knows and he knows. And he's so, like, oily about it. And it's just yeah. so creepy. Mm-hmm. And so, no, it's a good one. Yeah. She just has to, like, pretend, yeah. like, oh, haha, I'm right. just going to stay here and recover. Like, go ahead, do your thing. Yeah. So I can try and, like, get away from my uncle and not die. Yeah. So. Worst use of Dutch angle I've ever seen? You know what it is? I don't know. You never heard me talk about this? I don't know. I've seen Casualties some of war. Oh, okay. It's Brian De Palma. Right. Brian De Palma always tries to use Dutch angles, and they're awful. Well, there's a guy that was super influenced by Hitchcock. Sure, I know. De Palma, he, he loves some Hitchcock. I know he does, yeah. And Old Albert Hitchcock. <laughs> okay, um, well, Orion, thank you for coming on. Yeah, and thanks. Being it was with fun. Us today. Uh, you're welcome. I never really have talked about Vertigo ever to anybody. Yeah. And uh, so it was nice to share my, my views and opinions, so I appreciate it. Yeah. Um... So, uh, next week, uh, we'll be taking a break, um, as we do every month. Um, in two weeks, we will be back with the top five B-horror movies of the 19, uh, of 1980, um, that'll start our kind of 10-month track, trek through the, uh, decade of the 80s in terms of B-horror movies. Um, this is our kind of first, like, long-term, um, project, um, <clears throat> And then we will be doing um, top five romantic comedies in February. We'll be looking at a third man series with Aiden Boyer um, uh, with Spike Lee. So mm. that's what we have kind of coming up in the next month. Um, as always, if you have any feedback whatsoever, if you have any suggestions for lists, uh, please feel free to email us at two guys five movies at gmail.com. That's the number two and five, two guys five movies at gmail.com. Uh, you can also like us our Facebook page. Um, Thank you for listening and have a good night.